Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. As y'all are well aware, I am fascinated by early church history. I wrote an article on this topic, and it received some fantastic feedback, so I thought doing an episode on it would be fun, but the idea of doing a solo podcast made me a little uncomfortable. Well, guess who is back to take the mic out of my hand and handle the conversation? None other than Abby Kleckner. Abby will be the host today, and nobody's more excited about this than me. Let's go. Yeah. Left, right, left, right, left. We got our marching orders, man. Left, right. Abby, how are you doing, my friend? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. You know, before we get into this, and we're going to talk about the article, obviously, that's why I had asked you to come on, because who other is more qualified than you since you've uh, been co-host in the past. And let's talk about that for a minute, though, just so I can stop fielding questions about what happened to Abby as co-host. Let's talk about that very quickly because... <laughs> okay. Well, nothing happened to me. I'm still here. I'm still alive. Um, it just got to be too much for my schedule. Um, I am married. I have three kids. I also have a full-time job. So a lot on my plate. When the podcast first started... I was not homeschooling and now I am. And I think that really kind of sent me over the edge of not having mental energy to put into <laughs> doing this kind of stuff and just needing more downtime on the weekend. So um, that's it. I just I just couldn't fit it on my plate anymore, even though I really enjoyed um, every episode we recorded. I, I remember telling you this once that when you started co-hosting, people are going to be like, can we listen to more Abby and less Craig? <laughs> and what I've discovered along the way, like when I invite people on the show, almost to a person, they're like, is Abby going to be joining us? <laughs> and when I say no, it's it, I can just hear the disappointment. Oh. <laughs> and I'm like, but I'm still here. We, You can talk to me. <laughs> <laughs> the other thing is I am a huge introvert. So I have loved talking to every person we've talked to on the show, but it drains a huge amount of my energy also. Some people who are extroverts don't understand that, that like, oh, how can you like really love talking to someone, but then feel completely drained and exhausted afterwards? But that's how I feel. So podcasts, even if I'm just kind of showing up and you do all the work, it still <laughs> takes a lot out of me. Well, I, and I, what I appreciate so much about the the time we spent together doing the show. Um, and I was talking to somebody about this the other day. His name's Matt from Expedition 44. And he was one who asked me, is Abby going to join us? And he sounded very disappointed. But I, <laughs> but I told him, I said, you know, and we were talking about this and I can talk about this now because we're starting this new network, but we were working on the website, this new network and, and talking about things. And I said, the thing with me and Abby is I felt like we had a pretty good rhythm, how we could bounce off each other pretty well throughout the show. And he goes, absolutely. He said, I, I he said, I caught that th every time y'all were working on the show together. He said, it's just the, the way th there was a rhythm. Mm -hmm. 
And there was a reason that's one of the reasons I asked you to, you know, come on board and, and co-host like you've done it in the past, you know, with Key Giles. And well, I mean, I, don't, I can't remember before, like you, when we did the Jason Porterfield episode, you were already co-host, you know, and, but it was easy for me to ask you, I was actually very surprised that you accepted the offer to actually be co-host because I, knowing you, like, I know, you, you know, you just being involved with the project from the beginning. I was like, she's not going to do this. Well, I didn't, I didn't actually accept the offer. If you remember, I said no. And then you told everyone I was the new co-host. No, 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 that's not <laughs> I said how I, I remember. record more episodes, but I couldn't be the co-host. I couldn't be on every episode. And then you made a big Facebook announcement of, guess who's the new co-host? <laughs> we might remember that a little bit differently. <laughs> I think we do remember it a little bit differently. But I have evidence I could go back and find <laughs> Facebook posts and text. Well, and I remember the post, but I can go back to the text as well. So yeah, yeah, it. we're just gonna have to agree <laughs> to disagree on this one, I think, because I'm pretty sure that you agreed, and then we started it. The thing is, like I was saying before we started recording, I didn't understand the kind of work that went into it, and I don't think you understood it as well. Like it was gonna be like a one, you know, whatever, every once in a while, but we record so much well in advance and so I get anxious about not getting the content and make sure we have content and stuff mm-hmm. and I think that might have been overwhelming as well but and I get it I mean I totally got it and but I also did say that you'll be back and you're and it's, <laughs> it was not gonna be one of those things you're gonna be it's gonna be consistent on the show but you're gonna be bouncing in and out with the with the podcast I'm pretty sure and, you know like today you're, you're bouncing in you're gonna bounce out and There'll be something here in the future that when you got time, you're going to bounce back in. Yeah. And guess who's back? Abby Kleckner. And I, I'm actually cool with that. I think that's cool. You know, we can we can just work it that way when everybody's yeah comfortable. And I think I think that works better. So for everybody listening, Abby Kleckner did not uh, leave on bad terms. She's uh, <laughs> still my friend, and just life is busy, and I totally get it. Anyway. With that being said, oh, I have to say this too. Do you remember when we did the Rival Nations episode? I don't know if you read the show notes. I didn't read the show notes, but I do remember the episode. Well, I was, I read the show notes the other day and our project coordinator actually did the show notes for that episode. And she made this, this, this one line in the, in the show notes that said, Craig's better podcast half. Which is an actual, it is pretty accurate when it comes to what we were doing with when you were co-host and stuff. And I totally agreed with her. Anyway, I thought that was funny. I was reading that the other day. It was funny to me. Hey folks, Craig here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors had no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. All right. We're going to talk about the early church in this article that I wrote. Yes. And you're going to take over from here on out and just 
it is your show now and you're going to be the host of the Bad Roman Project today. Yeah. And so since I'm the host today, I wrote my own intro, if you don't mind. <laughs> I, I absolutely would love to hear this. <laughs> okay. Hi, I'm Abby Kleckner and welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. Today on the show, we have Craig Hargis. Craig is most well-known for his love of face masks and beans and chili, <laughs> but is also a podcast host. Little-known fact about Craig is that he made his fortune printing labels for Purell bottles during COVID, but subsequently blew it all on his 19 cats. <laughs> Today, we're going to be discussing an article he wrote called The Early Church Foundations of Voluntarism. Hi, Craig. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Do you remember that time you called me a jerk face? I know you've brought it up. I don't remember what it was about, but... <laughs> well, I'm calling you a jerk face right now because... <laughs> The vast majority of what you just accused me of is not true, and everybody knows. <laughs> Some of it's a little true, but the vast, not the 19 cats, almost 19, but Close not. enough. I was the beans and chili, absolutely not true. My love of face mask is not true. <laughs> but there was a picture of you, you had, uh, you had dyed your hair a little blue. Oh. And I was just messing with you. I said, are you, are you getting ready for your blue hair days or something? You call me a jerk face. And <laughs> Was that yeah. it? Oh, that's funny. So now Abby Kleckner's the jerk face for the day. <laughs> All right. So, okay. You wrote this article. You wrote it quite a while ago, I feel like. I remember, I feel like it was years ago when I first read it. But <laughs> Well, it was actually published in October of 2022. I did write it several months prior and it just got put on hold, put on hold for other articles that we're adding to the blog and stuff. And then finally we put it out. Okay. And so, yeah, you're right. Because I do remember talking to you about it when I, when I first wrote it. But, yeah, it was <laughs> it wasn't years ago, but it was, you know, several months prior to October 2022. So where did your interest in the early church first begin? You know, when um, when the when the project started, we were very focused on, you know, Christians not being entangled with the state. And at the time, I had no really interest in the early church or learning anything about it. I didn't know anything about the early church at the time. The older I've gotten, I've uh, become more interested in history. So I like to try to place myself into the situation at the time and to try to understand what was actually going on, because it makes more sense to me that way than to try to read what somebody today is saying. I want to go read what other people saying at the time who were living through these circumstances. That way I can understand it better. So it happened to me from my time from moving from neoconservative to uh, Craig constitutionalist to libertarian, air quote, libertarian to anarchist. So but getting back to from moving from neoconservative, I wanted to understand the Constitution. Well, instead of just reading what today's people were talking about the Constitution, I wanted to go back and read what the folks were talking about it at the time. They were living that life, right? Mm -hmm. So I had to put myself in that situation. So getting to the early church, understanding no king but Christ. Well, I could sit here and read or listen to folks talk about it, but they weren't. It was not clicking with me. Mm -hmm. I, it dawned on me. I was like, what, were the early, "What was the early church thinking about?" You know, no king but Christ. Were they really no king but Christ? I didn't know. So I went back and started reading this stuff, and I was like, "Wow, they were no king but Christ." Like it was so centered to their lives that when they said Caesar is not king, that means Jesus is 
is king. You know, I want once I realized that I could not stop reading the early church. I could not stop reading it. I wanted to hear more. The longer that went, it really solidified the way we uh, take the Bad Roman Project with no King but Christ. For on my on my side of it, anyway, I should say. But it really solidified for me. This is exactly how they were behaving in those first four centuries. So when I understood that, it was a no-brainer. Yes, I want to know more about the early church. Yeah, and you say the the first four centuries, and you mentioned that in your article before the time of Constantine. So I guess what was going on in the first few hundred years of the church, and then how did that change with Constantine, making you feel like the first few hundred years are significant versus after that time? Well, I mean, if if you go back and read read the early church, these first four centuries, there were two things that were universal about. It was pacifism and it was no king but Christ. Now, they they debated a lot of different things like we do today when it comes to, you know, uh, theology and whatever. But there were two things that they were solid on, no king but Christ and pacifism. Those two things, those two things that they were solid on changed once the state got in bed with the empire, with Constantine. It changed the face of the church, and we've seen it get gradually worse over, you know, over the past, what, how many centuries now? It hadn't gotten any Mm -hmm. better. It's gotten worse. So what I saw reading this, you know, and I talk about the no king but Christ thing, but but really reading their 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 stuff also solidified my understanding of pacifism as well. Like, you know, I talked to you about about pacifism. You really taught me a lot about pacifism and talking to Bruxy Cavey about pacifism and Keith Giles about pacifism and really taught me some stuff. But when I really read how these guys were behaving, these guys and gals were behaving when it came to that uh, idea of pacifism, they took it very seriously. They took Jesus, no king but Christ very seriously. They took pacifism very seriously. There were things, other things they just, you know, disagreed on. And we've talked about universalism and all that stuff. And the vast majority of the folks there were universalists, but not all of them agreed on, on that, that idea as well. But th- there were two things that were solid on pacifism and no king but Christ. And I think at that time, there was a lot more at stake for both of those beliefs too. It's they're not living like in a comfortable place like we are today, where at any point those beliefs might be challenged with their life. Right. They were being martyred for both of those beliefs. <laughs> you know, you know, we're, yeah, we're, you're right. We're, we, we're not challenged with those, with those uh, things today, but they were, and they did not waver from those two things. That's another thing that was so solid to me. You know, I, I talk about consistency all the time and to see the consistency among every writing on these two topics. I mean, come on. It's, it's, there's no way you can gloss over that. You cannot just say, well, there's this. No, no, no. I need, if, if there's something different that was said, I, I need you to point it out because I have everything that I've read. There's nothing that suggests otherwise that they were not solid on these two things. Okay. So uh, the three people you quote in your article are Polycarp, Origen, and Tertullian. What made you pick those three? Polycarp mainly because he, by all accounts, was taught directly by the Apostle John. 
I, I get this pushback from folks sometimes when it when it comes to like scripture and then talking about the writings of the early church past, you know, what we have in the Bible, right? And I'm like, well, why can't we take these folks seriously? They were a lot closer to the situation than we will ever be. They were living that life, you know, and there's no, there's nothing that I can find that, that, that disputes this, but he was taught directly by the apostle John who walked side by side with Jesus Christ himself. So if Polycarp has learned from the apostle John, mm-hmm. why would we not take his writing seriously? You know, when, and when Polycarp was uh, being led to be uh, basically executed, he was stoic. He was it, it, the, the bravery is what was so striking to me. He knew it was fixing to happen to him, and it, he did not waver one bit. And when they came to arrest him, he ordered food to be served to the quote unquote police officers who came to arrest him. He fed them, and they arrested him and took him away mm-hmm. to be executed. And before they executed him, they gave him one last chance blaspheme. Christ and announce Caesar as your as your king, and and he would not waver. He said, eighty six years I've served. He's he's never done me any harm, and I've served him. Why would I blaspheme my king and savior right now? And when I read that, I, I mean, I took this deep breath. And said, wow, I mean they they tried to burn this man to death, and he did not die. And they ended up having to stab him to kill him. But just the just the mindset, he knew what was going to happen. And he said, why would I blaspheme my king and savior? He said it right there. Why would we not take those words seriously? Mm-hmm. It, it's so powerful to me to read the writings from these folks who were living a life that, you know, basically we were talking about a while ago that we don't, we're not going to experience today, but they did not waver. Mm-hmm. And now <laughs> all these time, all these years later, we we waver so much when it comes to our belief in who our king is and how we're going to go about who our king is. And these folks were like, you can kill me, but I'm not going to denounce my king and my savior. Uh, Origen, Origen's interesting to me as well. And I think the reason I added him is maybe just kind of a, a jab at some of the folks who pick on us as universalists because Origen, by all accounts, was a universalist. And <laughs> he was, and, I, and they, people call him a, uh, a heretic, but the only thing he was heretical about that they could find was he would he would claim that Satan and his demons would also be reconciled, and that the other folks were like, I don't know about all that. But everything else they were cool about what, what when he viewed how he viewed universalism. But when you read his, uh, let me pull this article up real quick because I, there's something, and, I, and it's in it's in the article, but there's one of his quotes. It's so fascinating to me. He said, to those who ask us whence we have come or who we have for a leader, we say that we have come in accordance with the counsels of Jesus who cut down a warlike and arrogant swords of argument into plowshares, and we convert into sickles the spears we formerly used in fighting. For we no longer take sword against the nation, nor do we learn any more to make war, having become sons of peace for the sake of Jesus, who is our leader, instead of following the ancestral customs in which strange in which were strangers to the covenants. There was two times in that in that quote where he mentioned who our leader is. And that's why I added that's 
the main reason I added origin, not because I wanted to, you know, jab at people about universalism. I was trying to be funny there. I don't know if it landed or not, but this, the fact that he said twice in that quote, who our leader is Jesus Christ, no King, but Christ. It, it, it was, it was one of those things that they knew for a, without a shadow of doubt who their King was. And I think that's so important. And then Another thing about origin, this is another quote, the Christians form among themselves secret societies that exist outside the systems of laws, an obscure and mysterious community founded on revolt and on the advantage that accrues from it. I mean, come on. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> you know, out, outside the laws. Isn't that what we do as anarchists anyway? We're trying to work outside the laws, doing the, the working in, within the societies to, to better mankind mm-hmm. you know it, it, that just to me the stuff that these folks put down was so it was just so powerful i can't get over it you just read this stuff and read it and read it and i added these three folks into the article but there's so much there's so much you can read i read five books well i read four books one of them's a dictionary i didn't read the entire dictionary you can just take you know sex with this dictionary <laughs> and talk and read about the state but i read four books about this and just the stuff that they were laying down, if you really just take time, and I don't know if people are really that interested in it or not to learn about it, but if you just take the time just to read a little bit about it, you, you it, it kind of, it's kind of infectious. You, you can't stop. When you start really understanding how these folks were behaving when it came to the empire, and we don't see that. We don't see that with the church today. We see the church more in bed with the state than they are against it. Not so much against it. It's just not supposed to be our thing. You know, it's something Bruxy said to me in, in one episode. He goes, we're going to have a loud opinion, but it's not my thing. And that's the way, like Tertullian, we'll, we'll talk about in a little bit. He was very aware of the, the Roman Empire. Origen was very aware. Polycarp obviously, you know, got martyred for not denouncing Christ. Very aware of the Roman Empire, but they didn't waver. They were outspoken. They were loud about it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's missing so much today. And that's one reason I wanted to write the articles, because I want people to take to heart how these folks then were being murdered by the state for being no king but Christ. And they didn't waver. They did not waver. Now, when you get into Constantine, they were seeking they were seeking some kind of uh, safety, which I, you know, I mean, I get it. At some point you get tired of being killed all the time. Right. Mm-hmm. And if the state's going to provide some kind of protection, I get it to a point, but then you lose your principle. You've lost your, uh, your motivation of no king, but Christ, you've lost your, your pacifism. I mean, the, the church by and large is not a pacifist uh, or <laughs> group anymore. Mm-hmm. If we're going to be completely honest. I mean, if you, if you think about how, if you go to your, your average American church, I can't speak for other churches in other countries, but you go to your average American church, they're supporting more. We're the good guys, you know? So they've lost that ideal pacifism. And that's that, that whole topic gets me in trouble with folks too. But I'm like, this is how they were behaving. This is how they behaved. Why? And I'm not, man, I could go on a tangent about pacifism. I'm, and I apologize. I'm <laughs> gonna, I don't want to overtake your show for that one because we could talk another hour on that one. All right. Well, why don't you, you didn't get to Tertullian yet. So why don't you get into him a little bit? Tertullian is my guy. 
Tertullian is the one um, when I really started studying this stuff that really caught my, you know, I, and I love this stuff from Polycarp and I love this stuff from Origen, but Tertullian, man, if any, I feel like I could be a Tertullian. <laughs> he was very fiery. He was very outspoken. He was very um, in your face about all of this stuff. And there's some things about Tertullian I don't agree with, but he, when it came to the state, he didn't, he did not pull any punches. And sometimes I think that is missing. Like, you know, you and I have talked about this in the past when, when it came to the project, we got to meet people where they're at, you know, get different perspectives and stuff, which is, which I completely agree with. But also, you also have to have that perspective. like, this is not working. Let's try something different. Let's be a Tertullian or let's be a Peter. You know how Peter was when it, when it came as, as to be an apostle, he was very fiery as well. And Tertullian would, 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 write these things down and he would say, we have no interest in the affairs of the state. It's completely foreign to us. It's completely foreign to us. He said, it's not, it didn't say it's completely foreign to me. He said us Mm -hmm. as the entire Christian bunch during that time, it's completely foreign to us. But the the way he was so outspoken, the way he just, he, it was no hose barred. And that type of stuff really, grabs my attention it reminds me and going back to, like I, i'm not trying to conflate the two it reminds me of going back to studying the the founding of america someone who really caught my attention reading that stuff was patrick henry he was very fiery he was a passionate christian now he got some things wrong when it came you know being, being involved in the state right but the how how fiery he was about it that type of stuff really drew me in to learning more about patrick henry and then the stuff with Tertullian really drew me in to learning more about him. And you just can't, you can, there's no way you can gloss over anything Tertullian said. You might be able to with Polycarp. You might be able to with, with Origen or Justin the Martyr or any of these, these folks, you know, back in the day. But with Tertullian, there's nothing to gloss over. It really is what it is to him or was what it was to him. There was no gray and it was all black and white to him when it came to the state, when it came to the empire. And that's the way I, that's the way I am when it comes to this stuff, you know, and gets me in trouble about, you know, being black and white about things, but it is what it is. You know, we, he, he would say things like we, we shun the voters booth. We have no interest in ruling over one another, <laughs> yeah. which is so interesting to me when you, when you take the words of Jesus himself very seriously, what did he say? You see how the Gentiles lord over one another. It will not be so among you. Mm-hmm. It sounds like Tertullian really took that to heart when you read his writings. Like he really understood that. And I'm not saying the others didn't. They just didn't say it like Tertullian did. Yeah. David Burko, uh, in describing Tertullian, uh, and I put it in an article. I think it was David Burko. I don't have it right in front of me. But he described him as a fiery Christian. And it, and it was so true. If you go read the stuff from uh, Tertullian, you, you you recognize it very quickly. He just did not. It's it's almost like he did not care what the Romans would do to him for what he was saying. He did not care what people would think of him for saying this for saying these things. You know, you know, a lot of a lot of people these days, you know, Christians especially, are afraid to be outspoken and, and speak their mind when it comes to to issues going on when it comes to government. This guy did not care. He did not care what would happen to him. He did not care what they thought of him. He didn't care what his friends cared, what thought of him. I mean, he he left 
from what I understand, and I don't know if this is accurate, from what I understand, he left the church. I'm using air quotes. He left the Catholic church. And somebody pointed that out to me when I was quoting him one time. I was like, well, maybe he got sick of their bullshit. Maybe he got sick of the church. Maybe he got sick of what, the way they were in bed with the state. He couldn't stand it anymore. It's, it's kind of the way I am with the church these days. I couldn't, I, I, I'm not going to put up with it. I, I cannot be a part of something that is so institutionalized and in bed with the state. And that's the way Tertullian was. Now, I don't know if he was a Catholic. I was just told that he left the church, whatever that means. I didn't look it up. I don't care. He did what he did, but he but he was so outspoken. He's just the the things, man. You just gotta you just gotta go read him to really understand this. I mean, and if you go read him and just sit there and put yourself in that situation, that that's one thing I always do when I'm reading history. And I've said I said it when I was reading the founding of America. I wish I was born in the wrong era. No, no, no. I was really born in the wrong era because I wish I was hanging out with Tertullian and being his sidekick and talking and explaining to folks, we don't care what the empire is doing. We have no king but Christ. He was so outspoken. They just, I, I can't say that enough. That's my guy. I think if I ever get another cat, I'm going to name him Tertullian. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a good one. <laughs> At the time these guys were living, how did the church function at that time? Why were they writing these things like what was going on that was inspiring them to write all this stuff? Because you sounded like the early church across the board kind of agreed on these things. So who were they making their point to then, I guess? Mm, that's a great question. I, you know, I, I, maybe, and I'm, and I'm, uh, I guess I'm just guessing, maybe they were writing things down like they were, you know, like Paul was writing his letters. They were just writing things down because they didn't have phones. They didn't, you know, have video and stuff and they were just writing their their stuff down to maybe vent or maybe they were writing it down for other people for other people to read you know in future generations but a lot of what tertullian was doing was he was writing directly to the romans he wasn't he was writing to them like people christians living in rome or like the roman government the empire he was talking directly to the empire okay and he it was probably also talking to other christians but he was talking to the romans from from what i can tell it looked like tertullian was talking directly to uh the romans and even with origin what what the, the quotes i what, what i mentioned earlier he was talking to them um but he was but origin was also talking to i don't know if he's considered an early church father but he was also was talking to other Christians as well. I think it was just talking to everybody, whoever will listen. I mean, <laughs> okay. but when it came to Tertullian, he was talking directly to the Roman Empire from everything that I can tell. And then if anybody listened to this and if I'm wrong, please, you know, reach out and let me know that I'm wrong and, and I'll correct it. But from what I can tell, Tertullian was talking directly to the Roman Empire. Like he just did not care what they thought. Why was he talking to them then if he didn't care what they thought? Like, well, I I guess you don't really know. But I'm just curious what the purpose was. Well, I shouldn't say maybe it's not that he didn't care. It was he didn't care what would happen to him. Oh, got it. Okay. He just, it had to be said. Who's going to stand up and say this? I mean, Jesus said it, but not so many words. Tertullian said it in a lot of words. He was just... <laughs> It almost sounds like when you when you read his stuff, it's almost like he was venting, but he was vent, venting directly to, towards the state. Like we wish we could do. Like we don't have that today. They're not going to come kill us like they were going to come kill them, right? 
But we would, how many times would you like to walk up to your representative in Colorado and be like, hang on, sucker. I don't need you. <laughs> well, you, you can write them letters like, <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> you can write them letters, but are, but are they, are they going to stick? Like this stuff is stuck centuries yeah. later. I mean, we're, we're talking about it right now in 2023. I think people handle it differently than others. You know, Polycarp, it looked like he handled it a lot different than, than Tertullian. Mm-hmm. You know, Polycarp was very passive in his uh, uh, No King But Christ stance. But Poly- Polycarp came a lot earlier too, right? Tertullian was later. Yeah, Polycarp uh, was born in 69 and died in 156. Origin was 185 to 254. So Origin was after Polycarp. Tertullian was 155 to 220. So Tertullian and Origin kind of in the same mix. Polycarp was gone before these two. But, you know, also Polycarp was a lot closer to the situation than these two were. And these two were a lot closer to the situation than we are now, you know. So maybe it changes over time on how they react to it, but they were still learning the stuff along the way. So maybe that's why Polycarp was a little more passive about being killed. I mean, I don't know. Like he was just wasn't, <laughs> I'm not saying he wasn't worried about it, but he lived 80 to be 86 years old. If you read the stuff that the, the Romans were trying to convince him to uh, denounce Christ, they brought up his age and Polycarp's 86 years, man. <laughs> just Yeah. You know, I know. I think like different emperors, were either like harsher or more lenient toward the Christians of how much they were persecuting them. So that could have had an effect. And I think they all were in different locations too. So that might have had something to do with it. I, and it could be Origen and Tertullian just wrote a lot more than Polycarp did and why we have more of that. Well, yeah, because what I, what, what I put down about Polycarp was not stuff he wrote. It was, it was accounts from other people about Polycarp. I'm not saying he didn't write anything. Yeah, so if he wasn't really writing stuff and the other two, I I know at least Origen wrote a ton, I think more than any church father. So um, it could be we just have more of their words and maybe Polycarp sounded the same way, but we just don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he could, I mean, if he'd have wrote some stuff down, he probably would have sounded like Tertullian or Origen. I mean... But from what I what I what I added to the article, from what I read about Polycarp, from what I was reading was from was accounts from other folks who were witnessing what was going on. So I guess there's that difference as well. So were you really focused more on early church fathers than early church history? Uh, not necessarily, because it seems like that's more what you wrote about and more what you talked about. Well, it's the the reason is is because we have their stuff. We have their stuff to read from, um, but the the history side of the early church. One book I talk about, or what I mentioned at the end of the article, is uh, the Christians as the Romans saw them. Mm. This book is fascinating because you're reading it from their viewpoint of Christians, and if you want, we talk about state propaganda. <laughs> read this book, and you will see. So much propaganda when it comes to when it comes to, to uh, Christians, and even Tertullian in one of the quotes. Let me go back to the article. He even mentioned something about this, not the book, obviously, but something about how Christians are viewed by the Roman Empire. High treason is a crime of offense against the Roman religion. It is a crime of open re- irreligion, a raising of the hand, 
to injure the deity. Christians are considered to be enemies of the state, enemies of the public well-being. In dealing with religious veneration of the second majesty, we Christians are accused of a second sacrilege because we do not celebrate the festivals of the Caesars among you. Just that portion of that quote, and I'll finish here in a second, but if you go and read this book that I just mentioned, the Christians as the Romans saw them, everything that, that Tertullian said in just that portion of this quote is exactly what you're going to read in this book. Mm-hmm. The Christians were viewed as, they were called sexual deviants. It was propaganda. Mm-hmm. It was garbage. But they were using it to try to get people to turn against the Christians because the Christians were not bowing to their Caesar. Yeah. They were trying to get people to go against the way of Christ and the way these Christians were behaving. So they lied about them. And we see that all the time with with uh, state propaganda these days. They use propaganda to turn people against one another. And that's exactly what the Romans were doing when they were trying to turn people against the Christians. People that might be on the fence about, well, these guys are acting very peaceful. They don't seem to be harming anybody. But the Romans come back and say, well, they're sexual deviants. Mm-hmm. They don't take part in the festivals. They're not bowing to the Caesars, our deities. They're, they're, they're atheists. Uh, you know, and, but it's all garbage because it's propaganda. I'm telling you, folks, listen to this. Go read this book. It is so fascinating when you read it and you can just really realize when you see how they were doing this to the, to the early church. And we see today how, this, how the state uses the same tactics to turn people against one another today. It's it's like they, they wrote a book on it. It's like they have a book, a manual, that the state has a manual that everybody involved, this is the, the this is the way we're gonna go down. Read this book. It, it's fascinating that you're gonna what you're gonna hear or what you're gonna read in this book. So why don't you say the title of the book again and who wrote it? And um are there any other books you would recommend people look into if they wanted to learn more about the early church fathers and church history? Uh the book I just mentioned is The Christians as the Romans saw them by Robert Lewis Wilkin. And if you go to the article, all five of these books will be listed at the bottom of the article that you can click on and go find them. Um, my favorites, there's, like I said, there's five of them. One of them's a dictionary. I didn't read the entire dictionary again, but <laughs> there's a section of this dictionary that it's by um, David Bercow. We're talking about the early, early church fathers and the state. You could go read, you know, all this stuff. My favorite book though is uh, out of all these. Well, I don't know if I should say that. One of my favorite of the five is um, The Early Christians in Their Own Words by Eberhard Arnold. This is where you get down to the writings and the stuff that these early church fathers and early Christians were saying, these things that they were actually saying. It's written down right here, and it's 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 beautiful the way they behaved. And, the, and then you can go, and it's, it's another book where, you know, they have a section on the state or section a section on... Um, passivism or whatever, everything you want to know about how the, the early church was behaving, you're going to find in this book. Uh, another book is called The Early Church on Killing by Ronald J. Sider. If you read this, if there's anybody listening to this that are on the fence about passivism and how the early church responded to violence or how they would uh, perceive violence or how they would actually you know, be violent if, if they were going to, go read this book. This will change your worldview on passivism. It's not, they were not passive to the point they were sitting on the couch waiting for other people to do things. They were so active in their passivism that they were changing the world. And it's, go. I love this book so much. (laughs) It's, there's Abby Kleckner, Bruxy Cavey, Keith Giles have changed my worldview on passivism. It's 
Scott Goldman has changed my view. We go read this book. It will really solidify. If you're on the fence, go read this book. It will. If it doesn't change your view on it, then give me a call. I'll, I'll, I'll sit on the phone and talk to you, but we'll talk about it a little bit more. But if this this book does not change it, if the things Jesus just said and the, <laughs> the church said didn't change it, give me a call and we'll see if we can lock this down because this book really locked it down for me. Another book also that I wrote, or not wrote, but added in the article was uh, Liberty and the Things of God, The Christian Origins of Re Religious Freedom. And you're going to go in this book and you're going to read some stuff from the early church as well when it came to liberty and how they viewed their freedom, you know, how they uh, understood that their freedom comes from Christ and not the state. And they took it very seriously to the point that they were not going to denounce their own king who provided this this freedom that we all seek. We all want, all want to live free, right? Well, not all of us. Some of us want to live as slaves, I guess, but... <laughs> the vast majority of us who take this seriously want to live free. And these folks did as well. And they knew that freedom came from God himself and not through the state. Cool. Wasn't that all of them? I believe so. Well, the dictionary is a dictionary of early Christian beliefs by uh, David Bracco. Like I said, it's a, it's a dictionary. It's thick. It's very thick, but anything you want to read about, about the early church, whatever topic it's in this dictionary, I focus mainly just on the portion of, how they viewed the state and how they, you know, engaged the Roman Empire. But any uh, there's other topics throughout this. Like I said, it's a dictionary. I did not. I'm not going to sit and read a dictionary. <laughs> I don't have that kind of time, nor do I want to read a dictionary. So I'll just throw this one last question at you. I don't know if you'll have an answer for it, but you said it seemed like across the board, the early church was really good on um, not being part of the state and on pacifism. Is there anything that they were really bad on that you like they really sucked at this and i'm glad no one believes that anymore or something like that <laughs> well i mean well speaking of tertullian he was a, a a believer in eternal conscious torment he was really bad on that really bad and completely wrong on that i did not know that about him until i was actually listening to the uh, grace saves all podcast with was it david artman and they were talking about tertullian and he, he mentioned that i was like I did not know that about Tertullian. As much as I love Tertullian and, and his stance and his uh, views on the on the empire, he was really bad when it came to hell. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and so that's that's one instance I can think of. He was really bad on that. Um, Origin, I I'm not going to sit here and say that I agree or disagree with his view as far as God reconciling the entire world, including Satan and his demons. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with I'm kind of like on the fence about that. Like the, the vast majority of the early uh, universalists were about it. They were like, I don't know, man, you sound a little quirky about that, <laughs> but we agree on everything else you're saying when it comes to universalism, you know? So, you know, when you talk about origin, that's what, like I said, when I added him, it was kind of like a jab because I, I think maybe the time I was also going through a lot of debates with folks about universalism and uh, annihilationism and eternal conscious torment and stuff. And I just added him because, and with almost to a man, when I would talk to them about this topic, they would bring, well, Origin was a heretic. I'm like, well, I get called a heretic at least once a week. And I know it's garbage. Yeah. So I want to know why. And then I actually found this out as well, listening to that, that Grace Saves All podcast. The reason they were they call him a heretic is because at the, what was the early church council or whatever, when they were talking about these things, putting the Bible together, whatever, and they didn't include his writings. They were calling him a heretic. It was just because of his stance on that God is going to reconcile even Satan and his demons. 
that's the only heresy they found with it. I thought, wasn't there something else? Like he believed Jesus and Satan were brothers or some something like that. There were a couple weird things, but it he wasn't denounced as a heretic because he was a universalist. And this also didn't happen until like 200 years after he had died. So it's not like people at the time were trying to throw him out of the church or anything. Well, I don't know about, uh, I don't know about, um, I, actually, that's, I've never heard that, that he was, uh, that he believed that Jesus and Satan were brothers. I, I, I don't know that. I could be totally pulling that out of the air, but I, I think that was one of the things that's weird that he believed. Or at least, and I know he wrote a ton, so his views certainly changed over time. None of us believe the same thing for years and years. So, well, I mean, you know, talking about universalism, you want to people want to point out origin and his views on certain things. But Gregory of Nyssus, by all accounts, was one of the leaders of this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Was a staunch universalist, and nobody ever wants to talk about that. They want to just point out that the, the misgivings of origin of the things he might have said stupid, you know, they never want to point out that Gregor of Nisa said, well, no, God is reconciling the world to himself. <laughs> you know, he was very, he was very solid on that one, but they don't ever want to talk about that. But as far as uh, origin with the Jesus and brother, I've never heard that. The only thing I've heard is that he was called a heretic because of the, and they weren't actually calling him a heretic. They just disagreed with him on his stance that God was going to reconcile Satan and the demons to himself as well. Everything else they were they were copacetic with when it came to his, his universalist stance. So calling him a heretic to me is just lazy. It's stupid. Because if you go and read his writings about it, and it's another thing I pointed out in the article about origin, it sounds like he's he was also accused of being a warmonger. But that's garbage. If you go read the stuff he wrote, and I pointed it out of the article, and I'm not, not going to remember the quote verbatim. I don't want to pull it up, but he pointed out that we laid aside our warlike <laughs> ambitions. You know, you know, I'm paraphrasing. So, and we become uh, followers of peace. And, and I don't know. I'm, I'm paraphrasing at this point. I don't want to pull it up. But go read the article. He was not a warmonger. There was so. It's so strange to me how people will throw knives at Origin without actually reading Origin. Yeah. You know, and it's it's a lot of things we do these days. You know, I shared an article in the discussion group from Rival Nations about where Jesus, I can't remember, the, the, the Jesus said, if you seek to kill, then Satan is your father. And this is Jesus' words. And the, there, there was a meme. It was a picture of a guy holding a gun. And without people reading the article, actually what the article was about, they just went straight to self-defense with a weapon. I'm like, and I was, when I was going back and forth with them, I was like, did you read the article? They didn't read it. Yeah. They saw a picture and it triggered them. Yeah. I'm like, and if you're listening to this show and y'all are two of the ones that I was talking to in the discussion group, I'm not picking on you without you being here. Go read the article before you engage me on something that I share in the discussion group. Cause it, the, the article itself is fantastic. Yeah. If you read the entire thing about it, read everything the article was talking about. It's fantastic. It's not what you think it's about, but it turned into that thing that they think it's about. It turned into this wild discussion, like, just go read, just go read it. And anything that, you know, that I say here today, don't, don't take the words of Craig seriously. Go read what these folks were saying. Go look it up yourself. You've got to figure this out for yourself. That's something that I, I keep stressing a lot lately on the show that I've, I've kind of stepped back from um, beating people over the head with things because it doesn't work. Yeah. And I've gotten to the point now, this is where Craig has landed. Craig believes this because this is what Craig has done. He, I've, I've, I've read this stuff myself, and this is where I've landed. Now, if you ask me a question, I'll tell you what I've learned. 
but I'm not going to tell you this is how you have to believe. You're going to have to figure this out on your own. And once you figure this stuff out on your own, when you go read the early church, when you go read their views on pacifism, you go read their views on no king but Christ. When you read it yourself and really lock down, it's going to mean way more to you than listening to Craig sit here and tell you this is how it is. Because it's not going to, it's not going to, it's not going to resonate. It doesn't resonate. And Abby, that's something you taught me very early on in the project is, and I think you tried to pull the reins in quite a bit with me, you know, very early on, because I was very, <laughs> you know, get, get people's face about stuff. And you were, <laughs> pull it back, Craig, pull it back, Craig. And not that you were being confrontational with me, but you were just, I, I could tell you were trying to pull me back, but I was still like, ah, we got to say this, you know, and finally I've listened to, listened to you 70 plus episodes later, <laughs> you know, finally, you finally understand what Abby was trying to get me to do way back in the beginning. And now, <laughs> now I've pulled back, not because what I believe is it's not, it's less important to me. It's this, it's more important for, to me now for anybody that follows the project or anybody that is listening to the show, reads our blog or whatever. It's more important to me that they go figure this out themselves than to just sit and listen to me preach to them behind a microphone. It's the same way if you go to church, don't sit in that pew and listen to your pastor mm -hmm. tell you this is how it is. And then you go about your week. No, you go figure this out yourself. And once you figure this out yourself, you can't, there's no going back. There's no going back. There's no, cause it, it, it's, it's yours now. It's yours. Yeah. It wasn't force fed to you. You received it on your own timing. Go do that. And it's, that means more to me now. This is what I, I try to do now with the project instead of trying to, you know, and, you know, in, in shows, you know, I'm still going to be Craig. It is what it is, but <laughs> just everybody remember that this is where I've landed. Now you go figure it out yourself. Now, if you have questions, message me, I got an email address. You can, you can reach out to me, but do that. And then, but figure this out for yourself and do that with it, with early church. I'm telling you, once you go learn this stuff and read it yourself, it, it changes everything. It really changed. I mean, it took me a little while to understand that to the longer the project is gone that, oh, not everybody's going to receive this the way I just received it. Yeah. Because I need to sometimes be punched in the mouth with stuff, <laughs> get my attention. That doesn't mean I have to go punch somebody in the mouth with what I'm telling them. You know what I'm saying? Some people receive things differently, but once they go do it themselves, it's, I mean, it changes everything. It really changes everything. That's what I hope for everybody listening to this podcast. Go figure this stuff out for yourself, please. And if there's more questions, I'll be right here. I'm a, I'm a message away. All right. Well, I think that's a great note to end on. <laughs> I appreciate this, Abby. Thanks for being on my podcast today, Craig. <laughs> hey, thanks for uh, inviting me on the show. I appreciate that. Um, anybody who's never listened to uh, The Bad Roman, go, go check out Abby and her podcast at The Bad Roman. <laughs> It's a pretty cool podcast. She's a great, uh, great host. All right. Well, thanks. Abby, thank you very much for this. I really, really do appreciate you taking the time to uh, speak with me today. Yeah, it was good. All right. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Bad Roman.